Hi, I'm Miriam Burke. And I'm Eving McBride. And welcome to A Little Birdie Told Me, a podcast brought to you by rollercoaster.ie. Every week, we'll be bringing you insights, advice, and our own personal experiences, along with some great guests to help you, our listeners, navigate the ups and downs of pregnancy and parenting. As the vast majority of parents can attest, a full night's sleep can often prove impossible when you have small children. So in this episode, we're joined by sleep consultant Erica Hargaden from Baboke Sleep Solutions to get some tips and tricks about creating healthy sleep habits. Uh, so welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, and thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So I suppose to get started, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into this industry? Well, I suppose the journey for me started with sleep deprivation. I'm a mum of three. My eldest is 12 and I have a middle girl of 10 and my youngest is six. But it was Quinn, my eldest child, who quite frankly, nearly broke me. There's only one way I could describe (laughs) it. And I share um, a video called My Sleep Journey on my social media that always gets interaction because it resonates with other people. When he was quite small, absolutely perfect. And what you would expect from his sleep was what was happening. But from four months onwards, it really unraveled. And he went from kind of doing some stretches of sleep to waking every 45 minutes to 90 minutes overnight. And I understand why that was happening now because of what I do. But at the time, it absolutely, you know, debilitated me. It The sleep deprivation affected me in a way that I really, really didn't expect or anticipate. I had read all the books. My my friends were having babies. My, you know, sisters-in-law. I had loads of nieces and nephews. I thought, I've got this, but no. So really uh, what I realised was I'm a very high sleep needs person. And um, yeah, sleep deprivation absolutely sucked all the life out of me and sent me into a very, very dark place. And I don't say that lightly at all. And my mum, in fairness to her, she stepped in and she helped me shape and mould Quinn's sleep in a way that, you know, supported him and supported me. And I never, ever looked back. It really ignited a love of sleep for me and a deep respect for it. And at that time, which was back in 2009 and 10, long time ago at this stage, um, you know, I was reading everything I could. You know, if my husband saw newspaper clippings, he'd bring them home to me because we didn't have iPhones back then and I wasn't looking everything up on my phone. And yeah, I went on to have two more children and I moulded their sleep based on what I had read. And I just love helping families with their sleep. People used to come to me and say, Erica, you know, he's doing X, Y and Z. What will I do? And I said, you know what, try this. And then they'd come back into me maybe at a meeting a month later in the job I was doing at the time. And they'd go, that worked. You won't believe it, that worked. And I helped a really, really good friend of mine who's now my business partner with her miracle twin boys and their sleep. And her husband jokingly said to me, Erica, you should be doing this for a living. And the light bulb went off. And I had had Patrick at this stage. So this is about six years ago. And I went, right, God, like, is that a thing? Is that something that I could do? And it turns out it is. And <laughs> and here I am now having helped uh, almost 3,000 families in the wow. last four years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think sleep issues, shall we say, not problems? Um, I like to call them challenges. Challenges, okay. okay. Yeah. I was like, what is the correct terminology? Yeah. Um, 
do you feel like they're a lot more common uh, than people realise? I think that we don't converse enough about it. I don't think as parents we are open about what's challenging us in our parenting. Some people are really open and wear their heart on their sleeve. I'm kind of like that. I would tell everybody what's going on with me. But I think if we open up the conversation more, then people will realise, you know, it's very, very normal to experience sleep challenges throughout the age ranges with our children. So, like, it's it's very normal for you to experience sleep challenges with a very small baby, with a five-month-old, with a nine-month-old, with a three-year-old. And, like, I'm embarking into the teenage years and I've no doubt I'm going to experience sleep challenges with that age range. Let's face it, we're adults and... Very often, even when you don't have children, you will experience challenges with your sleep. It's one of those, you know, aspects of our health and our well-being that we often have to put some work into in order to hone it and get the most out of it. So do you think there are good sleepers, like naturally good sleepers and naturally bad sleepers? Because even with me and my husband, like I'm actually a very naturally good sleeper. Like before I had kids, I could easily sleep 10 hours a night and still wake up and be like oh, I'd love another hour, you know, and I go to sleep the minute my head hits the pillow, I generally fall asleep really quickly, whereas he needs a lot of sleep aids, you know, like he needs a podcast and he needs to have complete silence and darkness, you know, so he's very specific with what he needs, whereas I could nearly fall asleep, like, standing up. Yeah, and I'm a bit like you, and my husband is a bit like yours. (laughs) Um, So I call babies that are, let's say, born very naturally good sleepers and continue to be very naturally good sleepers. I call those unicorns because they don't happen very often. (laughs) Okay, amazing. Yeah, a couple of unicorns. They do exist. Unicorns exist. I didn't get any. Well, my middle girl was a little bit like that, but uh, unicorns. And then, yes, there is people who are very naturally, you know, good sleepers sleepers and will sleep anywhere and then there are others that need maybe more sleep hygiene put into their Mm -hmm. sleep in order for them to attain the sleep that they might need to support themselves so, so sorry what does hi- cause sleep hygiene I think because like I'm like change the bed sheets like what does that actually yeah, mean yeah no I know so sleep hygiene means setting up your sleep environment in a way that will support your sleep or investing in the wind down associated with your sleep so simple things like no screens in the hour prior to bedtime that is a really simple way and by no screens it means none no TV so no Netflix take your TVs out of your room so stay away from screens 100% and then investing in really dark sleep environments because darkness supports melatonin, the sleepy hormone to do its best work. So if you're trying to go to sleep in a brightly lit fluorescent room, you're at nothing because your body is not getting the signal that you know, it's time to go to sleep. So those simple things are sleep hygiene. It's not necessarily podcasts or like, you know, different apps that wind you down. It's just about you investing in what you feel will support you. It could be a shower in the hour prior to bedtime. Like that's one of my things. I will sleep better if I have a shower before I go to bed rather than maybe having it in the morning. That just really works for me. But my husband is the opposite. He would survive happily on four or five five hours sleep he will want his phone right up until he goes to sleep and he thrives on that whereas I would be a basket case on that little sleep. So I suppose then when it comes to kids like do you have different approaches then when you meet families that you kind of have to nearly investigate like how the child is now and how you kind of can bring them to where 
they want to be. Yeah, when I converse with families one-to-one, I very much try and investigate the child in front of me. So I will ask families to complete like a questionnaire where I get, you know, the information that I need to, um, you know, complete some thoughts and make some notes and maybe have a little bit of an impression of the picture that's happening within the household. It not only gives me a picture of the baby at hand, but it also gives me a picture of the parents because the questions that I will ask will help me maybe understand what is this family's sleep goals? What do this, you know, set of parents want from their family sleep picture? You know, so definitely you cannot in my opinion, approach each family with exactly the same way to solve a sleep challenge. You know, you need to look at, you know, okay, well, you know, how is this family set up? Are they living in an apartment? Are they living on a busy street? Uh, Are they living far away from family and friends? Do they not have any help? You know, what is this family's ethos around their parenting? And then taking all of that, plus the age range and the temperament of the child and the challenges at hand, formulate a plan. And do you ever find that there's it's just one small little thing? Oh like yeah. Like you look at a plan and be like if they just do this one thing it yeah. can make a difference. Tweaking. Tweaking. Yeah. Yeah. You listen yeah. to my videos. Tweaking. <laughs> um, so absolutely. So for example early morning waking is by far one of the biggest sleep challenges that parents will present to me. And very often when it comes to early morning waking let's say with a 15 month old who's on one nap a day their nap is happening before midday. And if uh, a parent just by five minutes every three days, just push that nap forward to it consistently landing at midday or after, that could solve the early morning waking. Because otherwise there's too long of a gap between the end of the nap and bedtime, which results in a high level of cortisol in the child's body before they embark off to their night's sleep. And cortisol and melatonin don't like each other. So that will result or could result in poor overnight sleep and early morning waking. That's really so interesting. And um, it just brings me into something that I'm kind of curious about, and that's routine. Um, So I didn't have any sort of routine with my baby, who's now 15 months. Um, We'll talk about his uh, sleep routine. I don't know what you'd call it. Definitely not a routine later. But the thing about it, so it's not sleep training you do. It's sleep solutions. But... You find that having a sort of consistent routine is is sort of cornerstone um, key. But I, I just can't get my head around anyone doing falling asleep at the same time every for naps or every night. But it can happen like that. That is what. Absolutely. <laughs> like uh, I understand that as parents, we might find routine with children like draining, monotonous, repetitive. Uh, like I've lived that. Absolutely. But our bodies and children's bodies thrive on the predictability of routine because it's all about hormone releases. So if the hormones are not behind the sleep, then you're less likely to get the quality sleep that you're looking for. The child might fall asleep, but it's more likely to be what I would term junk sleep than quality sleep. So by putting in place a routine, the body gets into a rhythm around when the expectation of sleep is coming. So therefore, the hormone releases will be behind it and that will produce more predictability around sleep. 
And so, I mean, would you then kind of recommend getting up at the same time, breakfast at the same time, lunch at the same time? Would you even do like a sort of a wind down before a nap? Um, I would recommend an 80-20 rule when it comes to routine. That 80% of the time you're trying to offer your, your child and your family life you know, a kind of little bit of a routine existence. Now, it doesn't need to be exact. Like, and I think as parents, we can tie ourselves up in knots with exact wake windows and exact times of feedings and exact everything. It doesn't need to be. And 20% of the time, I like to see families having what I call the crack. You know, getting out, going to the Christmas markets, if that's what we're allowed to do, going for a swimming lesson, going to, you know, your parenting classes, going out and doing things. And those things won't make the wheels come off the routine bus. But if you are trying to establish routine, then starting your day at a regular time every day will help to start the process of that and anchoring it and once you get into a regular routine then you can kind of start playing with it a little bit so I get asked quite often you know when do I stop waking them at seven o'clock in the morning when somebody does get into a routine with their sleep I'm kind of saying well look at if you're six months into it and things are really really settled stop you know let them let them sleep on particularly if they're on one nap a day you can do that so when you're getting into the toddler phase uh, but if it does then start to see that you've no control over then what happens in the rest of the day is a knock-on effect then your child might need to be woken at seven o'clock every morning for there to be predictability around the routine you know and it's not ideal for everybody this does not suit everyone and that's the message that I put out there or try to is you only need to work on this if you need to work on it, if it feels fraught to you. So you mentioned that you, when your son was four months, that's when you really needed to kind of get some help, external help to kind of figure things out. A little bit after that. (laughs) So it was at four months that the wheels came off the bus. He was doing what I would now kind of... um, say is pretty normal sleep habits prior to that. He was doing bits of stretches of sleep. He was maybe doing three hours of stretches overnight, you know, and it was waking to feed. Mm -hmm. Ideal, right? Waking to feed. Grand job. But after four months, um, it was waking every 45 minutes, which isn't waking to feed. Mm -hmm. That's waking every sleep cycle. You know, and do you feel like then, so, because I think this is the other thing, is is around four months, is that the ideal time to start putting a routine into place or is that just completely subjective I just hear four months and that's the magic like that's, yeah well not magic wait that's the opposite it's the it's regression time. time isn't it yeah. yeah so the four month sleep regression is actually a huge progression if for yes. your child it's mm-hmm. the formation of the circadian rhythms and lots of other developmental things as well but from a sleep perspective so they're the wake sleep cycles that govern our our, our days and our routines and specifically the hormones behind sleep. They take a huge developmental progression at that time. So that's where wake periods become you know useful when you're trying to maybe formulate a little bit of a routine but it also you need to understand that they will have cycles of sleep now that go 45 minutes during the day and two to four hours overnight. So if you have a nine-month-old who is waking every two to four hours overnight, that's the sleep cycles. That's That's, sleep cycle waking. Yeah, (laughs) sleep cycle waking. So that was what happened to me. Quinn went from waking to feed to waking every 45 minutes. Like between going to bed and getting up in the morning, he probably was waking 12 to 16 times a night. It was chronic. Like I literally would put my head back down on the pillow and he would be awake again and again and again. And 
at the time, my husband was in a job that was deeply impacted by the recession that was happening in Ireland at that at that time. So, you know, he was working every hour that God gives. So I, I took it all on my shoulders, which I shouldn't have done. Which but a lot of mums do, to be fair, because you have to kind of weigh it up if somebody's going into work every 100%. day. And if you're feeling your yeah, obligation you when aware. you're on maternity leave yeah. and you yes. have the time, even and though, yeah, of course... You don't. You don't. It's not yeah. a holiday. Maternity yeah. leave is not a holiday. It is an adjustment period to a new phase in your life. Yeah. You know, it is the fourth trimester, really. Mm-hmm. So I did. I took it all on. And that then resulted in a breakdown. Mm-hmm. I could only describe it as that. Oh, a God. breakdown. I couldn't function. My mother said what opened the door to her was a statue of Erica. And oh. I'm oh. sure you're getting a sense of me now. I'm I'm not that. Yeah. I, I would chat to anybody I am quite confident, I think, at times, you know, so I was the complete opposite. And everybody was telling me that I was depressed, that I had postnatal depression. Um, one public health nurse told me that um, I wasn't coping, mm. which was the worst. It's such a trigger. It was such yeah. a trigger. It was so hard. Um, so it wasn't for many months after the four month stage. So it was, it was a while afterwards where my mother went no, we need to work on on this, Erica. You know, so she actually stayed with me. She doesn't live in the area that I live in now, and she stayed with me for a few weeks, and we we worked on it together. Like she loves telling everyone that she meets that she actually is the person behind that <laughs> and It's not me at all. <laughs> how but, how amazing though to have had that support system and to have had your mother recognize that. But we talked about this before. As yeah, the first the fourth trimester. Mm-hmm. Um, that like. The modern way of parenting is so isolated yes. and isolating. Yeah. And to have support is actually one of the fundamental things that society or civilization has grown up with. You know what I mean? So yes. to, to now be in a situation where we don't have that support. It's, it's rare. All, the expectation is for us to do it on our own. It takes a village. That mm. saying is not there for no reason. It does take a village. And we are now very, I'd nearly call it nomadic. We live everywhere now. And we were just, we were talking about that before we, we started. You know, we don't live where we grew up. I don't live where I grew up. So I am very reliant on help, external help and, and help that I probably have to pay for. But I'd much rather be reliant on my mum, aunties, cousins, family. There is nothing more glorious than being surrounded by family and raising your children with family. But it is not always possible. So I would say to any new mum or dad, for that matter, don't be too proud to get help, ask for help, get somebody in, send your washing out, get in a cleaner if you need to, whatever you need to do to help you with this additional layer, this massive chapter change. It's huge. Like going into the parenting stage is no under like understatement. It is it is a whole massive change and no amount of books will prepare you for no. it. But it's even like night nurses. So yes. you know, night nurses are so um, amazing they're what queens. they do but they're also very expensive so yes, it's not feasible for everybody to have one or to rely on one even you know on a weekly or monthly basis but there's also a bit of a stigma attached that people don't want to admit that they're getting that help or that they're I suppose that they're paying for the help like if it was an auntie or a mum or whatever um, or a granny they would be like, oh, you know, my mum took the kids or whatever. But that to actually so admit yeah. that I'm I'm prioritising my sleep and I'm putting myself first for everyone else and I'm going to pay somebody to come in. It's nearly like, you know, 
an admission of guilt that you're not doing your part. Absolutely, or I couldn't it's agree kind of with a, you more. A privilege thing. It's like it's yeah. a privilege thing. Look at her. Yeah. You know, she can do Nearly this. Like too posh to push. Like yeah. too too posh to yeah. mind your kids. At but night. if it was your mother or your sister, it'd be like. Oh, isn't, aren't they great? Yeah. <laughs> isn't yeah. isn't yeah. this a great situation? I absolutely agree with you, but I think it's down to us, particularly as mothers, to give the other mammy a clap on the back and go, fair play to you. Yeah. Fair play. I'm delighted to hear that you're minding yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. You know, that you and your partner are getting what you need to help you with this situation. We as a society have to make it okay for people to get help with their kids definitely yeah. Yeah. I'm a firm believer in that yes um, <laughs> me too like, who, who's a professional that I can rely on in this situation <laughs> um, but I suppose kind of going back to our own because we chatted a little bit about this before um, we came on air uh, I suppose Miriam and I have kids in different stages but we're having different kind of sleep challenges in our own lives like for me I have my daughter who's nearly three and she used to be a great or quote-unquote great sleeper and sleep seven to seven in her cot every night and then when she discovered she could climb out of the cot that's when our lives were turned upside down and then my son isn't a bad like he he goes to sleep very easily but then he wakes several times during the night and it could be for a bottle but it also could just be for like sometimes he he genuinely just wants to wake for the crack like he just wants to have a chat at 3am <laughs> yeah and he's so smiley that you're just like oh but you know at the same time you're like go back to sleep um so are there any kind of fundamental things I know you talked about sleep hygiene like how would you kind of um advise parents who are looking for maybe like some little kind of quick pointers as to how they can get their kids to to go to sleep. There's a a number of key things for me when it comes to working on sleep. One of the first ones is your sleep environment. Look at the consistent place of sleep that you're offering your child. That is where they will believe they sleep. So if it is in your bed with you present, that's what your child believes happens around their sleep. That's all they know. They don't know anything else, even if something used to happen previously. They don't recall that and children are very much in the moment and in the now and we should all nearly live like that. But that's what they believe. So if you want to have them not sleep in your bed, then we have to, as parents, lead them on the journey to creating the consistent place of sleep of their cot. It could be their cot in your room, their cot in their own room if they're you know of the age, their bed maybe in your room their bed in their own room but we have to lead them to that if your child is of the toddler stage then very often sleep challenges can be behaviour related so it's about resetting the behaviour in a similar way that you might reset a a non-sleep related behaviour so again it's us as parents leading them towards the change around that so like with toddlers in particular and the toddlers are a huge challenge like they're unpredictable you know, they are very independent. So I'm nodding furiously here. Like, yes, yes, all the things you're saying. Yes, unpredictable, furiously independent. And if they don't get what they want, they will throw almighty tantrums that would wake the Lord himself. So I think owning that and understanding that their frustration to the situation is because they don't necessarily like the change. But if the overall sleep picture is having a negative impact on the entire household, then as parents, we might need to lead the change. And that might then lead to more settled sleep for everyone. 
And is it ha- is it basically just forming a new habit? Is that what it is? It's just the repetition of doing something consistently yes. until it becomes the norm? Very often with toddlers, that's what it is. It's formulation of new habits around your bedtime routine and the going to sleep process. If, if a child falls asleep with a parent physically present, then the brain checks at the next sleep cycle. Is the parent there? Is we the, find that is actually with our daughter. There? Like she, she kind of reaches out for yeah. you and then once she feels you there, she goes, she back, goes to sleep. back to sleep. Yeah. So that's the checking. So this is built into our brains as a checking process from when we used to sleep in caves and we'd be hunted and whatnot. So is everything safe? Is everything as it was when I went to sleep? They may not even move, but we have senses. So they can smell you, they can sense you. So, you know, they might come into a light sleep cycle, they can sense you there. So therefore they don't wake fully. And how do you break that? Because Miriam, obviously you sleep with your son in the bed as well. So like, how, how if that's like an instinctive thing, like when they wake up and they feel that you're not there, does their brain then just become used to that? Or? This is about fading. And you will hear a lot of consultants talk about fading out habits. And that's literally what it is. So it, maybe in your cases, it's within the parental bed. OK, mm-hmm. so now you need to make the move to making a, a maybe a bit of a deal about moving into their own sleep environment, making that a fun idea, making that something that they might be excited about at the first instance Mm -hmm. and then creating the new habit around them falling asleep in that environment and in the beginning that might be sleeping with them in that environment to reset that habit in the beginning but then as that becomes kind of the norm around your sleep fading it out so like you know while they're falling asleep rather than falling asleep with them you're sitting beside them then maybe you're sitting beside the bed then you're sitting you know a little bit away from them and you're fading back across the room but if you take that fast it's going to go pitong you have to go slowly like and I always change my voice when I say this you have to go slowly (laughs) Uh, so you have to do this very slowly now my recommendation would be you only make a change every three days but with some families I've worked with because of maybe the child's reaction to change we make the change every five days or every seven days okay you know we take it would there be any child that you can make changes every one day (laughs) look at not really I find when you get kind of the toddler stage making change too quickly results in tantrums and that then makes everybody want to walk away from the situation so if you do it a little bit more slowly it's just a little bit easier for everyone to digest. Now, I'm not saying that you won't get pushback and that you mightn't get tears or you mightn't get like, oh, I don't like this, mammy. But if you take it a little bit slower, you're maybe more likely to be able to control the situation a little bit more, provide more input, provide more support and make the change in a more controlled way rather than it feeling like you're just ripping every Band-Aid off. And I just find with toddlers in particular the more gradual methods tend to work better with readjusting sleep. And then I'm like, and now I've onto my next child. <laughs> um, <laughs> I suppose, for, when, so I totally see where you're coming from with the toddler sleep because I am guilty of needs or must, you know, like yeah. I was like, where none of us are getting sleep, we just need to try and rest and make sure that people are able to function the next day. And for us to be able to do that, it just involved her coming into our bed. Yeah which has now become the norm and that's what we're going to have to try and phase out. Um, With my son though, he goes to sleep in his, we actually, 
like sadly for him this is like classic second child syndrome because Isabel was so um noisy and the tantrums and just like her getting trying to get her to sleep in her own bed turned into such an ordeal Mm -hmm. that we couldn't even have him in the room with us so Mm -hmm. we actually had to put him into his own room when he was like three months old Mm -hmm. which you're not recommended to do and whatever um so he's always been in his own space and responds really well to that. We'll go, we'll be, we'll be put into the cot awake and, you know, we can kind of soothe him to sleep through like patting him and mm-hmm. shushing and yep. like songs, whatever. I know. And I was with, <laughs> with Isabel. So I was like, how does this, how do people do this? And then with Theo, I was like, oh, so children do sometimes oblige. Um, and that's fine but he without fail will wake and once the first wake up happens it's a cycle then it's every it could be every hour it could be every two hours um and we do all the things you're not supposed to do like we feed him back to sleep and sometimes I'll just take him out and we'll rock up you know like I do all the things that you're not supposed to do you do do all the things to survive don't say that you do all the things that you're not supposed to do because there's no rights or wrongs with this this is is about survival but is that is that the daytime routine is off and then that's impacting the nighttime routine or is it just one of those things it it could be a a little bit of both so when you were talking there what was jumping out at me was there's patting rocking rolling shushing Mm. while he's falling asleep so remember what I was saying around the the brain checking so if you're physically present there shushing patting rolling feeding whatever it might be when they're falling asleep then the brain will check to make sure that they're there again at at a later sleep cycle it might necessarily be the first sleep cycle might necessarily be the second one it might be later on um this is amazing this is like a therapy session where it's so obvious and you just tell me and i'm like it all makes sense yeah but see it only makes sense i'm feeling very reassured as well to be honest and that's what i really like about your um approach is that you know you're just like everything is normal it's all survival you're not doing anything wrong no but here are some really good (laughs) and key points and and I think that for me is the biggest thing for parents I think if we understand why something is happening then we'll go okay right and and then I can apply this to change that okay and that's those steps make it more digestible whereas I think sleep in the past for children in particular has been such a mystery and I really want to take the mystery out of this and make sleep accessible to everyone. We all have the need and the right to good sleep for ourselves and for our children. So taking the mystery out of it and allowing people to understand it and have the information is just going to make everybody a bit healthier and a bit of a happier world really. You talked about like wanting to give everyone the accessibility but for some people you know, um, hiring a sleep consultant is just, it's not an, a possibility a possibility for them. So, um, but you do offer online courses. I do. I, that are I, more accessible. Probably. Yeah, there's a, there's a little bit of a story behind this. So when I started Babogue, I did that, that traditional one-to-one sleep consultant work with individual families. And you know, thankfully, the business launch was a success for me. And I was really busy within six months of starting. And that saw, though, me maxed out. And I couldn't help all of the families that were coming to me. And then my Instagram account was so busy and the DMs and the DMs and DMs. I was like, these people are in bits and they need help. And I was getting the, I, you know, 
it's not possible for us to work with the sleep consultant. And you know, I was totally reading between the lines going, I understand it. You maybe can't afford this because it can be quite expensive to work with a sleep consultant one-to-one because of the time involved in it. We do put a serious amount of time into it. So I was driving to a family one night in Wicklow and I live in Kildare, so it's an hour's drive. And I'm going, how can I help these people? How can I do something that's going to make this readily available to more people? And that was when I came up with the idea for the Sleep Series. So the Sleep Series is a suite of online sleep programmes, originally from birth to three years of age, well, three and a half. But just recently, we launched a programme for older children as well. So from birth right through to 10 years of age, because older kids have sleep challenges too. And that programme has helped about two and a half thousand families globally since its launch in November 2019. So, yeah, it is. I'm really seriously proud of it. So, like, between that and working with people one to one, we've worked with, you know, 3000 families at this stage. So we have a good idea of what's going on with people, what they're looking for. And I feel we're doing a really good job around making sleep challenges more easily resolved by everybody. So the sleep series comes with really comprehensive video content, like covering everything you need to know throughout that age range, plus the range of different ways that you can solve your sleep challenges and the toolkit, you know, and everything. But it also has the support of a private Facebook page that I log on to five or six days a week and I do like an hour or two of support to people who have put up, you know, different messages about what's going on and what do I do and how do I solve this? And I do a weekly Q&A. So it's making working on sleep more accessible to everyone. And I, that for me is where I want Babo to go. I want that if you have your new baby and, you know, you're in the 3 a.m. club and you're just, you need somewhere to lean into that's non-judgmental and is evidence-based information around sleep, then we're a place that you can reach out for that. And it's ever evolving. That's the other thing. And I think that's even just parenthood in general. That you think you've got one thing nailed and then something changes and you're on to the next phase. Mm -hmm. So like it is a constant um, you're constantly adapting I to your new situation. I call it the roller coaster. Yeah. It is yeah. just like you guys say. It's the yeah. roller coaster. The yeah, the ups and downs. Um, and, you know. And have you found over COVID, especially, that sleep patterns have changed, or that quote unquote good sleepers have suddenly presented with challenges? I think COVID has upended all of our lives in so many ways. And yes, to all of the above, we have seen huge changes around sleep habits for families, you know, changes in habits for parents, changes in habits for children. Um, A lot of parents did get to grips with sleep through COVID with their kids and maybe put in place, you know, routines around their sleep. But then that maybe presented challenges when returning back to the workplace and creche and children who'd never slept anywhere else. And, you know, so it is very much a yin and a yang for us. Um, when we went into the first lockdown in March 2020, um, yes, a lot of parents did reach out. They wanted to use the time to work on what was happening around their child's sleep and solve sleep challenges. And others now have maybe come out the other side. They've maybe had babies during COVID and now they want to maybe work on sleep before they return to the workplace. So I think that it has brought changes both positive and negative. And isn't that the same with anything in life? 
Do you know? Yeah, so true. It has. People survived. You know, we're still working through this mm. situation. So I feel them having the ability to go somewhere for help when they're ready rather than going, you need to work on this now, you know, or you've missed the boat. There's n- nothing like that. You know, y- you can always work on sleep. So it's, it's never, never too, too late. late. Okay. <laughs> we said that in unison, babe. Okay. <laughs> it is never too late to work on sleep. I have been involved in a consultation with a family of a 12-year-old girl who had never slept independently and she now sleeps independently. There was a number of us that kind of inputted into that one. Because um, that's actually my big fear. I'm like, it'll surely she'll just have to understand that she doesn't sleep in her bed but then like but what if she's 15 yeah. no she, like I, I also had a client during the pandemic a six year old boy again just never slept independently he he would always fall asleep with the parent and then during the night he would sneak into the parent's bed and initially it was all fine like you know everybody was happy you know and it was all grand but then the dad started to experience challenging medical things so he needed his sleep to not be interrupted so we worked on the six-year-old sleep and booyah he's now sleeping in his bed all night and that helped that family situation thrive so there's loads of parents who absolutely adore having their kids between them at night for me personally no I wouldn't sleep at all so you've got to find what works for your situation have you ever worked with a family or a child who just you cannot solve (laughs) For want of a better word. Uh, Not talking about my own child. I'm just wondering in general. I I have had um, a number of families over the years where things have not worked out as I would like. Mm-hmm. And I'm really honest about that. It is not going to work out with every family. It is a mixture of things. Mm-hmm. It can be a mixture of maybe parents not really wanting to put in place what you're imparting. Okay. Um, you know, so really the consistency around change is key. So doing the work. Basically. Doing the work. Uh, don't think that working on sleep is going to be kumbaya around the fireside with ukuleles. It's not. It's going to be challenging. So be prepared for that challenging aspect of it. I think that's what par- like that's what scares me. Yeah. Because so my situation is I did have Fionn during the pandemic. I was off um, all through that kind of on my own. Well, my, my husband was very good, obviously. But um, that's why I ended up sleeping with him because from the very, very from when he was born, basically, he wouldn't he wouldn't go in the cot or the next beside me thing. He probably would have if I'd given it a bit more. Um, effort I'd, uh, I don't actually want to even say it that way because I was a brand new mother yeah. sleep deprived didn't know what the hell I was doing and the best thing for me to do was to bring him in with me and feed him like all through the night Absolutely. I slept and he slept yeah. and that's what I kind of kept on doing and that is still what I'm doing now and he's 15 months and that is another um um, so that's another thing I want to thank you for, Erica, because just before we were uh, came on air, I told you this and you were like, listen, if it works for you, it works for you. And I was just like, <sighs> yeah, wait, I actually nice. no, I, I, I felt that from you, that kind of like, because I think when you meet somebody like me, right, I'm putting myself into a bracket, you can immediately get the guard up. And this lady is going to tell me everything that I'm doing wrong. Yeah. yeah. No, we're all surviving. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other. And if doing what you needed to do at that time worked for you, own it, go with it. It's what worked for you. But then if you do get to a stage where I, you know what, I need to change this now, 
you can and only you can make the decision around that but there still is the fear because so I probably am ready to have my evenings back because I go to bed with him at eight I mean I'm ending up now watching Netflix on my phone like I think I've just been watched it all (laughs) and like the the entire Netflix (laughs) Uh, but um uh, I do need my evenings back yeah. and my husband is in the spare room and I need him back too and um, but it's that fear of you know this is all Fionn has known yes um, I am his comfort I'm still mm-hmm. breastfeeding him uh, He, but he does go to creche and he sleeps in creche and we talked about that yeah mm-hmm. so that to me shows and I love that you brought that up it shows capability mm-hmm. so if he is able to settle to sleep in creche without in a cot f- in a cot <laughs> without the factors that happen at home then he has sleep capability it's there it's more now around what I was saying creating the consistent place of sleep and changing what's happening around him going to sleep slowly but surely that will bring that back around like we could do a whole podcast on the exact steps on how to do that but it will be slightly different for everyone do you know so it is possible and also to say I think there is a bit of guilt around admitting that you want your evenings back lose that don't feel guilty about wanting to sit on the couch with your partner and have a little bit of adult time with a glass of wine or a gin or a cup of tea, whatever your poison is. We are human and we have a huge amount of mental load and layer. So like when my kids, look, at my kids don't go to bed till nine o'clock now, the older two, because they're older. But when they were in bed at seven o'clock, I'd be like runners on out the door gone. The minute Liam would come, I I would barely even acknowledge him. He'd literally turn the key in the front door and I'd bolt out through it because that was my time. But that's so important. Like, that's how I feel at the moment a little bit with um, Isabel. Like, I do think it's really nice that she's so, we're so close uh, close and she's, she is a very sensitive child. So she does really like the reassurance of her parents being there a lot. And she's, she's a, baby she wasn't born in COVID or during the pandemic but that's her she's grown up with this so that's her reality she's still a very small child but it is actually that feeling of I just want my own physical and mental space and it's actually the physical space as well to feel like you have a child constantly attached to you physically like it it's lovely but it also takes its toll and sometimes you just feel like I just want my own space I just want to be on my own a hundred percent and I think even when you don't have children you feel like that like you have put in a day's work and you might have other things going on you just want a little bit of time and I think there is this thing about oh well I'm you know closeness because of maybe what's happening around sleep you can have all of that bond and all of that closeness with your child and sleep independently You know, because you sleep together or not does not mean that you're not going to have this amazing, incredible bond with your children. You know, I I can only relate to my own situation and I have an unbelievable bond with my kids and we've always slept independently, you know, and and the same with their dad. They have an unbelievable bond with their dad and sleep independently. So and same with me and my parents, like I'm very close to my parents and I, I probably would have gone into their bed the odd time. But yeah. I slept in my bed every night. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't really thought about it, but yeah. I don't. I, I pretty much know for sure that we'd never slept in our in our parents' beds. Like I, I'm a twin, so oh, are you? we had to. You know, they had double the battle. Yeah, um, double trouble. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how our sleep was. Oh no, I do, I do, because my dad often tells a story 
of um, having to put us in, both of us, in the pram and just walk us up and down the street, like in the middle of the night, trying to get us to sleep. And then one of us would fall to sleep, asleep and the other one wouldn't. So and hard. then it would be oh, like yeah. kind of a cycle <laughs> like that. So, yeah, he did say that um, at times he did feel like wanting to throttle us. When a lot but, of my uh, friends actually have twins. I think it's because of our age that we're like older, older mums. Well, like, you know, we're all in our late 30s, but I think it's mother nature basically just trying to give you more kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so actually, I have three friends that have twins, um, three sets of twins. Yeah. It, and one of them who had twins, she actually did the Gina Ford method because yeah. she just was militant. She was like, if I don't get these kids like in into a structure a and a routine like I'm going to crack up well yeah. I don't know if she was going to crack up but you know she just basically was like this is what I need to do it's very prescriptive like it nearly tells you when you can have a glass of water and when yes, you can have a shower yes it does actually tell you when you, when you can have a glass yeah. of water and a shower <laughs> but you, you, I think if you if you take Gina Ford without the prescriptive preciseness Militant, uh, yeah, yeah it it uh, can really help people get into a, a rhythm but yeah. you have to take away the preciseness of it or you would go insane but the thing I think that that kind of taught me as well when she was like oh well this is what I'm doing and it's working really well and I wasn't doing yeah. a method I was like oh my god like I'm doing it wrong now no and I remember meeting another friend um we were literally having coffee and she was like, okay, well, he's going to have his nap now in 20 minutes. So will we get moving? And I was like, oh, can you time? Like this, there's a time. She's like, are you not following a routine? And I, I literally was like, oh my God, all the mums are doing routines. And when was I supposed to know about the routines? I felt like that this is something maybe I'd missed the memo. Like they hadn't packed it in my like going home from hospital pack, you know? So... You that know, is it, a big part of it. You feel like a complete failure when your children are not just doing what they're supposed to do. I, but there is no supposed to do. Like, abs- there is, like, guidelines. Like, don't get me wrong. There is guidelines. There is, you know, guide wake periods, guide napping routines. But they're guide. They're exactly that. They're guide. Every child will not do the same thing. They are not robots. They are not programmed with a, a button panel in their back. They are all slightly different. You know, and I also really, really feel that routine is parent led. So if you're not a parent that is in a routine or likes routine or thrives on routine, then you're less likely to lead your child into routine. Now, when you get into the parenting world, you might need to tweak that a little bit if you want the sleep picture to become a little bit more settled. Because weirdly then, when I... So I never thought that I was a person that that thrived with routine or on routine. And then when COVID happened and our worlds were completely upended, I was like, I need to go somewhere every day. Like I couldn't cope with just having these endless days stretching out ahead where there was absolutely nothing to do. So that's actually interesting that you say that. I, I didn't approach parenting with a routine mindset, but I think as I've kind of gone into it, I can see myself that having some sort of structure there definitely is beneficial. And, and I find now that my kids are a little bit older, like they ask me every day, what's happening today, mum? They want to know like what lies ahead in their day. You know, obviously, you know, five or six hours of their day is stemmed around school because they're all school going age. Um, but like when they come home and they have their homework done, they're like, are, are we taking Gizmo, our dog, for a walk? Uh, are we going to go into the shop? Do you know, that kind of reminds me of, it's sort of triggered something. Um, when I finished university, that I felt like I jumped off a cliff yeah. into the ocean. I was the same. I'm yeah. being like, oh my. So, you know, you, you go through primary school, secondary school, and then college, if you go to college. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you do not have structure, a, a structure anymore. It is 
it's actually you're not on a timetable anymore yeah. yeah and then you have to figure it out for yourself and like get a job and stuff but <laughs> and then you're back on a timetable <laughs> again yeah. like, and but lots of i remember just feeding at sea being like oh my god this is so weird not knowing you know after the um exams in fourth year being like oh what do I have? You know, I had nothing lined up and I was like, what am I going to do next? I, I felt so like weird. that when I became self-employed. So I was in one role in an organisation for 10 years that was quite repetitive. It was a repetitive role around events and I loved it, adored it. So when I became self-employed, sure, like, uh, I didn't have to be in an office every day. I didn't have a particular event that was going to happen in April every year. I was a little bit, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm in charge of this. And for probably the first few weeks, I ran a lot and I tried to fill my days, but then I had to get into a rhythm. I had to go right. Once I've dropped the children to school, I'm dressed for work. I do X, Y, and Z in the morning. Then I collect them. Then we do homework. I had to create a structure. Otherwise, I felt at sea. It's funny that you mentioned the ocean because that's how I felt. I felt at sea. Like I had nowhere to go. I was just kind of floating a little bit. But even when I, so before I came back to work, um, here at roller coaster i was freelancing and i took a little break when theo was born and then i started working when he was probably about three and a half months old and all my friends were like oh my god you're mental but i was like i actually i'm craving the structure and i feel like i need to even and obviously when you're freelancing with small kids like there is no structure that's laughable um but it was the same kind of feeling it was just i just need to have something else going on that i can focus on that it's actually nearly like planning ahead to get this work done. And like, sadly, when you're actually sitting there alone, you're like, this is pretty nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting, my my treat is that I'm sitting down to do my work. Um, But yeah, it is funny. And I suppose like thinking about it, like my daughter, although she has, we have to work on her sleep. She actually loves, she always says to me like, mama, what's the plan? So whenever we're doing things, I, and I think it's nearly reassuring to her to figure out or to find out exactly what the day entails. Yes, they do um, thrive on on knowing. They thrive on the routine. Kids don't thrive on chaos. Now, your situation is not that by any means, but you can imagine other situations for children where it is chaotic. You will generally see a child that isn't thriving. But just because y- your sleep isn't down in inverted commas doesn't mean that there's chaos going on. Like, like I keep saying, if it is working for you, then it's working. Just so there are no lost causes. No, is what you're saying. If, <laughs> I say I do a Q and A every single month on Instagram, and I put this up all the time. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Leave it alone. Like. Don't feel because the noise around sleep is fix this, do this, nap at this time. If it's working for you, if your child sleeps for two hours in the morning and one hour in the afternoon and it's all working, even though I say do a shorter nap in the morning and a longer nap in the afternoon, ignore me. Do what's working for your child. Yeah, uh, do you know what? Just on that note, I just want to say this in case it helps anyone listening, because this is what helped me. I was in such a tizzy over um, over routines when Fionn started uh, eating solids, so like around the six month mark, I was fine going with it until then because I could. I was feed, uh, breastfeeding on demand, you know, it didn't matter. But once he started needing those meals, yes. that is when I started f- getting losing control, I thought. And that again, that's when I started feeling like I was thrashing around the ocean. Um, but what I so I, I I found something I can't even remember what it was online, and I was trying to stick to this 
these exact times waking up and not when we wanted to wake up, just because they told me I had to. And then I found something else. Again, I can't even remember what it was. And they were just like, around eight o'clock, wake up. Around 11, have whatever, lunch. Although I was doing it much later than that. And it was that loosening that helped me. It was like, oh, oh my God, I don't have, like, if I don't wake up at seven tonight, today with Fionn, the whole day is not going to be put off kilter. And that's what I was feeling. If I didn't do something or if I missed a certain time that the whole day was gone and I would be like, you know, shaking with with the anxiety anxiety of, oh, no, he's going to um, miss his morning nap now and he'll be waking up and he won't eat his lunch. And just this, it it would it would ruin the day. But that I feel like as well, that's another thing like flexibility is so important yeah. and especially when yeah. you do want to do things like go and do a mom and baby group like sometimes I and we were talking about this before like sometimes even the stress to get yourself out the door on time and you're trying to like and then you're like oh my god they're supposed to be napping now what am I going to do like even just to be like it's actually fine like it'll all work out in the end just go a bit easier on yourself I'm working with the mom of a six month old at the moment and we had this actually in our conversations via WhatsApp this week where she had a class and she texted me to say I'm going to cancel it and I was like no you are not cancelling that class. I want you to pack up now and go out. Well, what am I going to do about the bottle? And what am I going to do about the nap? I was like, toga buggy, relax here now. It's not all going to be lost. Just maybe tweak the timing of the bottle by 20 minutes because if it doesn't happen at the exact time it happens 20 minutes earlier, that's absolutely fine. And go to your class, have fun. If he falls asleep on the way home in the car, it's grand. Let him sleep, see what happens. And when he wakes up, just go, right, okay, well, he's due a nap maybe about two hours later. It's just about gaining a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of confidence. You have to try it in order to figure out what will work for you. So that trial and error piece, it is okay if it doesn't go according to plan. All is not lost. It's okay if it doesn't do what the book said or the lady in the video said or, you know, any of that just try it don't get locked up in your houses go with the routine and then have days where you don't go with the routine I think that's a pretty good place to finish yes <laughs> thanks so Erica, much Erica thank you so much for coming in to chat to us I've learned a lot yeah so just tell tell us where we can find all of your resources so uh, babog.com is the name of uh, our website and you will find loads of free resources really usable ones on uh, babog underscore sleep on Instagram I have a plethora of videos there that I've been releasing out um, every Tuesday for the last two years so yeah Go there if, as a first point of call and if you're challenged with sleep, for sure. Brilliant. Thanks Thank you so, so much. much. Thank you so much, girls. Mm-hmm.